0: As anybody with a Facebook account knows, music criticism is going from spectator sport to participatory activity. Some people read the comments on articles just as avidly as the official reviews that they're commenting on. Meanwhile, as newspapers cut arts coverage in many cities, bloggers and Twitter feeds are growing in force. But where does this leave classical music? Does the internet make for a more democratic form of commentary or a more shrill, unfiltered one? Here to give us their critiques are three guests. Anne Majette is the classical music critic of the Washington Post. She joins us from their newsroom. With me in the studio are Lara St. John, the violinist you're hearing in the background. She also writes her own blog and maintains an active Facebook page. And... Pete Matthews, the editor of the blog Feast of Music. He also works for a digital advertising agency. So, Laura, I'm gonna start with you. New York Times critic Zachary Wolfe recently wrote a scathing review of the English violinist Charlie Seam after Charlie performed at Le Poisson Rouge, and you posted a very strong response. What prompted you to do that?
1: It was a response to over a dozen people in my music community. Facebook friends of mine who reposted this review kind of in a, in my opinion, a a schadenfreude kind of way. I had actually no problem with the review at all. I mean, that's what reviewers do. They go to concerts and they have opinions. But once I saw this happen for the sort of third, fourth, finally the twelfth time, I got kind of angry because it was in a mean way that people were reposting this review. And then there were a whole bunch of comments, and there were things like, oh, probably deserved it, and this and that. And I would bet that absolutely not one of these people was actually at the concert. Neither have they ever heard of this guy before, or have they ever heard any of his recordings. And it just...
2: We follow each other on Facebook, Laura, and I know the specific comment you made, which was that, Every violinist has a bad day.
1: Well, every musician, every, everybody in the arts yeah. can have a bad day. Right. And excuse me, Anne, but every reviewer can have a bad day. And my Absolutely. point was either of these things may have happened. What the hell are people doing reposting this and laughing about it? And well, especially I think of our little classical music world as, as a community. And if we're going to bash each other upside the head like this, it, it's just very disappointing
3: Well, the amusing, not amusing, but the notable thing is that your post was clearly not a criticism of the review, but of the Facebook reaction. Mm -hmm. And then your post generated an equal and opposite reaction of everybody piling on to critics without actually thinking about the content of your post. And I think that's part of what Facebook tends to do. People, yeah, what she said. And furthermore, (laughs) my old man. And um, I thought it was very, (laughs) because you kept saying in your Facebook post, well, what I was complaining about was the Facebook response, not the review. And they're like, yeah, critics are idiots. <laughs> and uh, and there is a certain kind of Wild West or maybe exuberance that everybody gets to be part of the discussion that you get a lot of very unthinking response or a lot of kind of quick schadenfreude because something is a fun and sexy read. You know, we all as critics know that people are much more likely to read something juicy than something
2: sober and praiseworthy.
0: Pete, have you found this also happening with your criticism? Um,
2: no, <laughs> in a word. Here, Here's the thing. I, I think there's very little mileage to be gotten out of cutting people down. It depends on who it is. I, we've cut down big institutions on our site, such as the New York Phil and some other big institutions. But I think they can take it. I don't think there's much to be gained from cutting down somebody who's just starting out in a career and trying to build up their cred. And that, And, you know, we don't just do classical music coverage that goes for indie bands, that goes for... You know, you name your genre. I I really think there's very little to be gained unless your point is just trying to get your name out there as a critic and trying to be polarizing.
3: See, I I would object to the term, if I can break in for a minute, cutting down, because that propagates this idea that a negative review is about being mean to an artist. And that's the worst part of a negative review for me. For me, the reason to write a negative review is that you're trying to uphold standards and that there's this widespread feeling of, isn't classical music just wonderful? And it is wonderful. And it's great when it works. But the only way that you keep making the field exciting is to call it when it's not working so much. And sometimes that requires a tough review. I, I always tell artists, please don't read your reviews. The last thing you want is to cut someone down. On the other hand, the other last thing I want is to write just sort of mealy-mouthed words of, oh, well, they meant well, or I'm sure they were having a bad day. You do want to sort of acknowledge that, hey, this was not up to snuff. And that is what gives my positive reviews more strength, because people know that I mean it and then I'm going to call it when I don't like it, too. But I'm not out to cut any artist down if I write tough.
1: Well, your job is to, is to have an opinion. And right. whether or not that there, – there is no right and no wrong in this profession. Absolutely. I mean, it's not running a race. So, I Absolutely. mean, if you were just always doing these, like, nice, sweet reviews, then, yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be – it wouldn't have the same effect.
2: Yeah, I, I think the thing that at least turned me off about that particular review was, was – there, there was a certain viciousness about it, I thought. And, and it was all about his clothes and his image that he was doing. And I thought it was cutting him down for the wrong reasons. And then, yes, his performance wasn't as good. But I think – Zach, frankly took it to another level because of the image that he was putting out and the certain things that he was doing to try to build himself up as a career. And I, I think don't think that...
1: that matters. That just yeah. doesn't matter.
2: Well
3: I, I, I don't I would question that a critic is doing that to build himself up though. I mean I've certainly written my share of reviews that could get exactly that criticism like oh boy she really went to town on that guy. Um, I haven't shied away from the tough reviews and perhaps too much so but I have to say for me it's an occasioned by genuine reaction. As Laura said, I have an opinion. That said, I am thrilled if some reader writes in and says, I loved that concert, and I'm really happy that social media affords a platform where we can have this discussion and people can remember that it's just my opinion. I'm not pretending to be the voice of absolute authority, and the prevalence of social media makes Mm -hmm. that much clearer now, and that's a huge boon of Facebook, Twitter, blogs, all of these things, which I embrace wholeheartedly.
0: You mentioned the clothing issue, Pete. The headline for this review was impeccably dressed with his violin at the ready, and there was a lot of discussion about the clothing. Now, pianist Yuja Wong recently got critical attention for performing in a very bright mini dress, but the argument was she had the musical goods to back up her untraditional choice of clothing. And apparently, at least on this night, Charlie Sam did not seem to have the musical goods to back up his non traditional presentation. So when is it fair game to mention things like clothing if you feel that this is not being backed up by the musical goods?
1: It's not evident to me that he was in any way non-traditionally dressed. I mean, I think the thing about this guy, I didn't know anything about him from Adams off hawks when I read this review. And I did a little research afterwards because, of course, my point was it doesn't matter. And I think his, his main thing is that he looks good in a Dunhill suit. That's almost overdressed for the Poisson Rouge.
2: (laughs) So I'm not sure
1: what they were, you know, what kind of clothing uh, sartorial choices he made were were they complaining about. Because I don't think it was strange in any way.
3: I did an article specifically about women's clothing in classical music and how that has been a stumbling block for reviewers and that women get called out for their clothing and that Laura has been particularly subject to that since her now rather long ago cover, where, which was a very tasteful art photo where she posed with nothing on but the violin sort of across her. It was an, It was an art photo, but people were up in arms, and I think that cover, I don't know if it still dogs you, but when I did that article in 2004 or whatever it was, it was still very much a part of your presence, so much so that we were talking about the way people were judging your clothing when you went on stage. Now, I want to say that I do think that discussing clothing, it, it shouldn't be off limits. It's a fact that women used to have to suffer under this because male reviewers would be like, oh, the zipper on the back of her dress was a distraction or something. But the fact is, as a reviewer, you're trying to find what the story of the evening is and tell that story as compellingly as you can, and if somebody comes out looking fabulous like he put a lot of work into his image, that can legitimately be a part of the story i don 't think there 's any sort of off limits aspect of the clothing. I just think you have to be very sensitive to how you discuss it, particularly if you 're talking about a woman because that 's been historically a very sore point
1: Well, but what we do is 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 visual as well as oral. The visual is part of the performance. And I mean, for me, like recording and and record jackets and this kind of thing and trying to reach a broader audience in that respect is not the same thing as when you are playing a concerto. I mean, I've always had almost over-traditional long gowns in in live performance.
0: Can we come back maybe to the subject of reviewing? Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) In the 19th century and even earlier in the 20th century, critics had really enormous power over classical music and really helped shape opinions of new music pete how do you see the power of the music critic today and i'll let you chime in on this too
2: i i don't know how much it influences things like ticket sales i I think it encourages a dialogue if nothing else and it gets anything that gets people talking about music i think is a good thing i know a lot of my friends tend not to read newspaper reviews as much as they read blogs and that kind of thing these days i think that there's been a bit of a shift there in where people are getting their information. And, you know, that can be a dangerous thing, of course, because blogs are unfiltered and unedited, and there's really nobody telling you what you can and can't write. And there are various quality of blogs. And I'd like to think one mine is one of the better quality ones, but I'm sure others would disagree. So I don't know. I, I, I think it all encourages dialogue. I don't know how much of an impact it has.
0: And same question for you.
3: I often say people overestimate the power, particularly when it's a negative review. They say, how can you ruin that person's career? And if somebody is already launched on a pretty good career trajectory, they're booked a few years ahead. And generally, their agent or presenter is going to take any good quotes they get and try to build them up. But I'm not sure that getting bad quotes is necessarily going to destroy them. I don't want to be disingenuous and say that it has no power. It certainly has a lot of power to wound. Um, As far as power in the With the public, I think it varies from city to city. I remember when I was still in New York, presenters sorrowfully saying that even a rave in the New York Times was no longer enough to sell out a theater where it had been 10 or 20 years before. Unfortunately, the way newspapers go is there's generally only one newspaper critic in any city. And um, as Pete said about blogs, the same holds true of newspapers. There are good people and bad people, basically, as a smart reader you can filter out which is which, and that's why I, I am reluctant ever to make blanket statements about blogs either. There are excellent ones and there are silly ones, and if you're a smart person, you're not reading the silly ones, so why worry about it?
0: But. Lara, you clearly read reviews of your concerts. You've got a lot of them quoted on your website and and mention the power that a review has to help sell a concert Do reviews from major outlets like the Washington Post or the New York Times still carry weight when it comes to getting noticed by presenters across the country?
1: I think they can help when it's a a large publication. Again, like Anne said, I think when when you get a bad one, we've all gotten bad reviews here and there, and it could be a bad day, reviewers' bad day, who knows. Again, I just kind of, oh, well, you know, didn't agree with some stuff, and, and out it goes. It's not really a big deal and i think she she's right in that people put too much stock into into one bad review but also you were saying how historically reviewers have had a lot more power maybe in the past and i don't know if that's because of the of the new blogosphere or all of the newspapers kind of not being not reviewing as many concerts as it is in the past things used to have a longer trajectory like you would get a review and then that would still play for a week and it would be the only way people could find out about a concert. It's not like a Broadway show, not like a ballet, not like a play. So it's it's kind of an interesting pastime. But I think people have realized it's one person's opinion. And the reviewer, um, sorry, Anne, but I think has, has no, lost some that all of that time. power. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, well, that's okay. one reason I welcome the blogosphere is because I don't think a reviewer should have that power. I think part of the historical shift we're talking about is also a historical shift in the place of classical music in our culture. You have to remember that you know, back in the 1950s, they're putting classical artists on the cover of Time magazine. That doesn't happen today. And you can't just say, oh, the media is awful. That's partly because those classical artists don't occupy the same place in our world, in our society. And criticism is also growing to reflect our world. It always does that. Um, A lot of stock newspaper reviews fall into this kind of formulaic just bad writing i don't i'm not sorry to see that cut i'm really happy in fact yeah. if the web gives us a way to restore the vitality and strength and intelligence of music writing um that i'm not seeing in a lot of the papers that are cutting back on it and nobody wants to read that stuff and good let's get rid of it and let's move on and find new ways of talking about this art form People are very scared about the blogosphere and Facebook and everything, people being nastier, the comments being nastier, which is originally what we were talking about, Lara, with your Facebook post. And I think that will sort of die down. I don't think it's as much of a worry as people think because I think you see it in every art form. I think it's actually a sign of sort of classical music being more on people's radar in a way. Well, but I'd, I'd like rather- to know,
0: given the nature of a lot of the online criticism and commenting, have newspapers – been asking you to write shorter and punchier and maybe even snarkier to reflect the lot of response that...
3: No, that's not how it works. I've never, ever, in many years in this career, been told what to write. Or, I'm not saying know, what make... to write,
0: but the nature of how you're presenting what you write, can you make it punchier in order to draw more online comments? Nobody's asking no, for that.
3: No. I think you get your job if they think you're a good writer. You know, I think that writing colorfully is a good way to become a regular writer somewhere, but I've never had anybody say punch it up, particularly because in my experience, newspaper editors are a little scared, particularly classical music reviews, because it all is just so much Greek that they'll tend to leave flabby writing alone because they think this must be technical jargon. Yeah, we (laughs) have have a
2: glossary of ten, like a hundred catchphrases which we excise from all posts. (laughs) Good for you. Such as? Gleaming. (laughs) Gleaming. <laughs> Gliss, gleaming top notes. furnished so, Yes.
0: This is people who are these writing are like officially these, yes. for your website.
2: No, 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 no. Like things you'll read in the Times or other newspapers. <laughs> that are. Just, it's just a glossary of 100 catchphrases that you will always see used over and over again.
0: All right. Last November, Michael Kaiser, the head of the Kennedy Center, wrote a piece for the Huffington Post in which he argued that newspaper critics, their credentials, they've been vetted and they are held to professional and ethical standards whereas most bloggers are not
3: does- i couldn't disagree more i could not that whole article i i respect michael for many things but i believe that article was based on a completely false premise there are many bloggers i would far rather read than many newspaper critics speaking Pete? as a critic thank you,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Pete, what do you i have don't have know to... if that's directed at us um, i i mean yeah i i think that's a great compliment and you know you spoke earlier about this and about the, the the landscape you know yeah, sure. Before what ten years ago, that was it. It was newspapers, magazines, radio, maybe. But that, where else would you get music? Artists? And then all of a sudden, blogs.
0: But with blogs, there's right. a certain element of you have to stumble across it, or somebody has to tell you about it. They don't have the same reach that yeah. a national publication has. True. Sure.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the blog. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly blogs. If you look at um, Opera Chic. I remember when she was talking to Opera News that, that that blogger has since written a few pieces for Opera News, but at the time, the kind of daily traffic she was pulling in on her blog, I would bet outstripped the kind of traffic Opera News was getting on its blog oh, yeah. and um, You know the question of who's the more credentialed person here and who has the wider reach is a very dubious one. Of course, it helps the blogger to have the official stamp. Um, James Jordan of parterrebox.com, a a site that has become synonymous with the word blog for many opera lovers, um, now writes for the New York Post, and I think it's great for him to have that sort of official feather in his cap, and it's great for the opera world to have opera reviews in the New York Post again. Um, They certainly took him because they perceived him as being colorful and snarky and having a big following, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it enhanced his status or even his writing. I think everything he was doing on his blog before that was just great.
0: Laura, how have your blogger online reviews compared with ones that you've gotten in more traditional media
1: to be honest, I mean, I I know I said earlier. Oh, you know, it's it's nice to. I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to my own reviews. In fact, I go by Anne's advice. I don't really read them. Sometimes you have to because they just sort of pop up in, in Google Alerts and stuff like that. Uh, it's. But it's, you
0: have a Google Alert for yourself, then, I, so I you're do, clearly looking and, out for what's you know, out there. I
1: Sometimes read them. I sometimes don't. But uh, it's it's actually mostly for my label because. As a responsible label owner, I have to know what's (laughs) going on there with the CDs. But it doesn't really matter to me whether or not it's on a blog or in a newspaper. Like, it it carries the same kind of weight. I mean, I I like always seeing music represented in an actual broadsheet because, I don't know, I'm (laughs) old-fashioned. And it just, it's tactile. It's something that you can touch and you can cut out and you can see. And I feel that it hits... I mean, you choose to go to a certain blog, but if you're just leafing through the New York Times and you read about a show or a recording, then, you know, to me, it's about reaching new people.
0: And how
2: about commenters?
1: Tend to read those much. I mean, I was really on, yeah, on the, on the Facebook. But it's the stuff, lowest
2: form of writing, it,
1: it really kind of <laughs> is. And the minute somebody spells something wrong or uses a grocer's apostrophe, I'm out of there.
2: Yeah. I, you know, actually, let me take that back. <laughs> it, it there are good comments. I don't mean to say that all comments are bad, but. For a blog that doesn't screen out their comments, their good and bad comments, you can get a lot of direct You can get yeah. people that are making unsubstantiated claims. You get people that are just flaming other people. Mm-hmm. You know, if anybody knows Brooklyn Vegan, they're notorious for the crap comments, dreads, threads that they build, which is, I know, not classical music. Off topic, Well, look but, yeah. at
3: YouTube comments. I mean, YouTube is now making a concerted effort, which many large media organizations are, to try to clear up the comments right. and just get rid of the dreck so that you can have some level of discourse. I mm-hmm. mean, I have to say I was thrilled when I started my blog in 2009. Um, I was getting wonderful discussions in the comment section from artists and presenters and people. And – in the last year, I have not been blogging quite as heavily. And I've noticed the interesting thing that the discussions have all traveled to Facebook. I'm not getting the same discussions on my blog, but I'll get these very long discussions on Facebook, which is, of course, a much smaller audience, and it's too bad. I mean, I liked having that discussion on the blog. Why do you think
0: Um, it's all traveled to Facebook rather than taking place on the blog?
3: It's very easy to discuss on Facebook. It's you know, a newspaper blog. You have to kind of register, and it can be tricky on our site. I think the fact that I went on maternity leave for a few months put a little hiatus in the blog, too, where Facebook is kind of always continuing. There's always this sense of Well, and people, people like talking.
1: immediacy. I like immediacy. Yeah. If I'm going to comment on something, I want to know that everybody's going to see that like right away. And as well, for I'm a just... newspaper blog, you have to sort of wait until some somebody Mediator kind of takes a look at it. it yeah. And... Yeah. yeah. You know, one, one thing I wondered about this, this whole thing that happened when I posted that little standing up for this guy, if you will, on, on Facebook, I started wondering if in other professions this kind of thing would happen. Like, for example, if a restaurant got a terrible, terrible review, would a whole bunch of other chefs start posting it on their blog? Like, if a, if a ballerina fell down and the reviewer made fun of her, you know, would mm. all the dancers start posting that on their Facebook? I mean, is it... I was shocked by this, just going back to that thing, and is it just us?
3: <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's quite the mm. same as a ballerina falling down, though, because I think what it is is this is a this guy, and I, of course I wasn't at the concert. But what it sounds like is he's what somebody with some money behind him and some style who's like playing the sort of style card. And there are a number of artists. I mean, Cameron Carpenter has been doing this very cannily, the organist, um, making his image a part of what he does, and that violinist whose name is now escaping me, but you know who I mean? Um, oh, um, the Han Bin. Han Bin. Yeah. yeah thank you, Han Bin. And, oh, he's you know, so He's are Exactly. And, and there are people who are making this a part of what they do. And it sounded like this guy was a little mm-hmm. bit on the sort of, I am selling this as part of my act, that I am cool, slick, well-dressed. I have certainly reviewed artists like that. If he had fallen on his face or broken a string and the reviewer had poked fun at him, that would be slightly different than what happened in this case.
0: So if you re- review an artist like that and the playing doesn't live up to the presentation, is there a right way to write a negative review,
3: as Lara said, there's never a right way there's no you know there's no right or wrong i mean the the ultimate goal of any review is to state your opinion but also to describe what happened in such a way that somebody else could read it and say I would have had the opposite opinion from you.
1: Well, we like no. bipolar
3: i mean the the worst yeah. thing i I can think of is
1: a tepid review because that means that you made no impression, so I don't know i there, yeah I
3: like this uh either very bad or very good. And, you know, you ask about other fields. I think restaurant reviews, there's a lot of really hot debate. Um, it's a huge blog, Twitter, media presence for restaurant reviews, and you get a lot of this kind of thing. I don't know that other
2: chefs would jump in and post it, but other aspiring sous chefs might, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, it's interesting. You don't ever even see it in other genres of music. When's the last time you saw a bad jazz review? I've never seen one.
1: I think maybe well, there's jazz just less has- of them.
0: <laughs> In the Department of Web Reviews versus Traditional Media, some people might argue that newspapers reach a wider demographic, and therefore having a classical music review next to a movie review in print
3: ultimately benefits all the arts, people reading across the arts it benefits all the arts if the classical music review is as well written as the movie review mm-hmm. very often i fear when you see the page laid out and you see the music review next to the movie review the music review is just not as well written. Although movie criticism is dying now too. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly, but there's an assumption when you're writing a movie review or a TV review that you may be writing for a layperson. And in classical music there's such a way to do it, and I'm not exempting myself. It's very easy to fall into this routine of, oh, this is the way you write a review. I do it several times a week. And you want to never be complacent and never fall into that. But because you have a relatively small amount of space and a lot of different names to pack into it, um, it can get inside baseball very quickly. But don't you think it's harder without that inside baseball, as you
1: call it, to bring across to the public what it is? I mean, music,
3: because it's not visual, I think it's harder to understand and it's harder to describe. And that's all the more reason why you want to make a vivid review that somebody's going to want to read. That sort of makes somebody pull somebody in. You right, know? but
1: isn't it isn't it harder to do it with that than, for example, than, than reviewing a play where you can where you can talk about the movements and the actors, some, something that every Joe Schmo is familiar with, whereas with music, I mean, I'm just saying, I think it might be a little more difficult for someone to read an average classical music review than it would be even a, a review of a of a Broadway show or a play, or uh, you know, just because I, we necessarily we have to use some stock words in order to describe something that's trapped within the confines of time.
3: You know, it's kind of weird, I, and it's not visual. I agree completely, and that's why, as, as Krista Ludwig once said during a master class, of course it's hard. That's why they pay you the money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Laura, I was actually going to ask, if there were no critics, would your job as a performer be easier or harder?
1: It doesn't necessarily benefit that recital or that concerto, but as it just brings the The name of the music, the composers to a wider audience, which is what we we need. I mean, we're an embattled field at the moment. And I, I, think it, I think I think I
2: would take it a step even further than that. And this isn't talking about myself or my own writing. Perhaps more about Anne and the people that do this at the highest level. Good music writing slash criticism, I prefer to call it music writing is just that. it's It's celebrating music in a way that you don't always get just as an audience member attending a concert. I think the best music writers out there are able to attend a concert and are able to encapsulate in language the magic and mystery and power of music. And that is an essential role that we have always had and should always
1: For have. example, there's, there's a whole uh, bunch of uh, pieces that I never knew I loved until I read Alex Ross talking can, about them. Alex right. is
2: my <laughs>
3: right. Idol. So that kind of thing yes. is awesome for music. I was going to say just having its presence in a major paper acknowledges that this is an important thing in society, even if it's not important to you personally, and that that alone is a reason to try to fight to keep it in as many papers as we can for as long as we can, because it is an acknowledgement of a social value of what we all believe is extremely socially valuable. Well, thank you all for a great
0: conversation, and we're going to hope that this conversation continues in the comments section on our <laughs> webpage. Keep it clean. <laughs> thank you all very much.
3: Thanks for having us. Thank, thank, you. thank you.
0: This has been Conducting Business, WQXR.org's podcast on the classical music industry. Our guests were Ann Majette, the classical music critic of The Washington Post, Pete Matthews, the editor of the blog Feast of Music, And violinist Lara St. John, who will be performing at the Naumburg Band Show on August 7th, and we are broadcasting that concert live on WQXR. You can subscribe to the Conducting Business podcast on iTunes. Brian Wise is the producer. Today's engineer was George Wellington. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thank you for listening.